as always, great to listen to the, uh, Bob Dylan. Um, we're back and we're going to be talking uh, about a segment of your life, uh, a period. Uh, you're living in California. John mm -hmm. and I are both from California. Oh, wow. I didn't um, know that. Yeah. yeah. Both of you. Oh, awesome. Um, and it's, you, you, we, we titled this Call to Adventure, Music Will Not Define Me. So set the stage for our listeners about sort of what, what time period is this? What's transpired? Okay, so this is about 2010 to 2012, maybe, right around there. And I had, we talked about the capital years, and I had taken that money and made my own first album. And I got that first album signed to Universal. And then with Universal, I spent the next two years making a second album and, and promoting it and touring it like crazy. And I was on Universal for two and a half or three years. Um, but in that span, I think of getting dropped from Capitol to then getting dropped from Universal. They used to not want to say the word dropped because it was a pride thing. I was like, oh, I don't want to tell anybody I got dropped. Right. But it's ridiculous. It's it's there's so much change within the there business. There was a merger. I was collateral damage. There was a, exactly. It wasn't, it wasn't my fault. <laughs> um, but you think it really is your fault when you're the artist. It's crazy, and and it could be it could be nothing could be farther from the truth at that point. Um, but anyway, the, the the period of time from then was like four years, I think, of just just trying so hard to to get recognition and fame and do it the right way and and work with all these different A&Rs and radio promoters and doing all these tours and nothing was even real yet. I didn't really have real fans yet. I was just trying to take all these steps to become more famous as a musician or something. And it got so exhausting. And it was that same manager too who had started with and we had charted that course when we were 22 or 23 together. Right. And we had just tried everything. and. I think we just reached a point, the two of us, where we couldn't really try anything else. And though we never thought we were going to split, we split. And I never thought I'd be off a major label, but there I was off a major label. And there I was with my wife. We were living in Pasadena. I was trying to live in L.A., but I didn't really want to live in L.A. because I'm weird and it was too L.A. for me, so I chose Pasadena. And this all just happened. And... I was having, I can speak about it lightly now, but I was having serious like identity crisis. I couldn't separate who I was from, from the art and the artist that I had been trying to become. Right. And I was, I was coming up with these like strange metaphors and um, descriptions for myself like, okay, the art, it, the music is just a backpack. Okay, I, I'm, I'm wearing this huge backpack and I'm taking it around the world and, and I want that backpack to be known by the world. But I can take that off when I get home. And I can hang out with my friends and I can do the things that used to make me me. And, and that was like a very important distinction. Di distinction. It's, it's hard mm. to describe yeah. unless no. you're so far into your career or, or something. So I was going through those moments because I had just been pushing for like seven years. Was there a sense of, of, of failure in that like dropped from labels? You know, your, your, your manager that you've been with for this long splits and, and suddenly you're feeling a little bit lost at sea in that the best I can describe it, I didn't feel like I was failing as a musician. Okay. I, w I felt like I was failing as an as a adjusted human. Yeah. I felt like I couldn't find as an artist, which I'm sure is a t you know, tale as old as time, but I, I, I couldn't find my own identity as a person anymore and my own happiness. I don't know if it was depression. I don't know what it was. It was just such confusion 
that I needed to kind of expel all those forces that I thought had created it with me, you know? Right. So I just went into this really interesting phase where I said, I'm not going to be a musician anymore. I don't, I don't want to, I don't know what I'm going to do for a job. But my wife at the time, she's like, well, then let's move out of LA. Do I get to pick where we move next? Cause you just picked New York and LA. And I'm like, yeah. So she picked Oakland to kind of to be closer to her family. And there we are in Oakland and I wasn't a musician. You had put the backpack down. Put the backpack down. Huh. And I was just feeling what that felt like. Um, and so that, that lasted like four months or so, four or five months and that's it. Cause there I am at my other like side jobs and all I could think about was lyrics. All right. I could think about was the fans that I had made and how I'm getting all these emails and offers to play this show and this show around the country and I'm just saying no. And I had to come back. So I didn't have a team at that point. I didn't have any, no team. And I sort of had to just slowly restructure a team and just, I got started with a new manager, this man who had been referenced to me, just very friendly, you know, passionate <clears throat> musician guy, but um, man, was he great. He, and he really did pull me out of that. And so, so anyway, I, uh, yeah. Well, you know, as I'm listening, I'm thinking when you're trying, when you wrote down on that yellow legal pad, like what the script for where you're going to end up, Capitol Records, you know, yeah. penthouse floor, um, sort of the, it seems like the desire to get there took you away from like the true personality of who Brenda James was yeah. like that 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 distance created you know a crisis in who am I really yeah you know it um, really did it really did it's it, and I I had to really retrace some serious steps because I had to really think back to okay when I was 17 hmm. if I hadn't met a mentor what what was that? What what I have done naturally? What else would I have? Done? I was like really having these deep thoughts that I think a person can only start to have when they've hit a low, where they can't figure themselves out for a while. And I was really trying to refigure myself out. But that's just one of the things that is common to the hero's journey is is sort of a moment of crisis. Is it? Yeah. That 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 forces you to reevaluate a direction. Totally. Um, and oftentimes, you know, as with you, it, you, you came full circle back around to, yeah, I'm meant to do this. I'm going to keep doing this. But you right. had to have that moment of, you know, letting it all go because the holding on is part of what was causing that tension. Yeah. And without the holding on, you could come back to it. But then you had that, I, I want to say luxury, but at least ease of being able to say, I can take this backpack off because that music, even though it's a part of me, it's not me. Right. Right. It's really fascinating. Right. Yeah, because you talk about the the path of the hero's journey, and it's this you know knowledge of, obtained, and then where you, how you bring that back. Right? There's the return, yeah. <clears throat> the return, and it seems like the return was sort of taking off the backpack, and the music wasn't in the backpack; it was in you. Yeah. So mm. The alignment of you and music was not two separate things, right? Um, mm. It's beautiful. It, well, I think it's especially because. In those in those first few months of this new phase of my life, where I was starting to let music back in a little bit, I started to write in our Oakland apartment uh, deeper and richer things than I'd ever written. And it was because I, because you know, for all these reasons, I just felt so free to make whatever I wanted because I wasn't even going to release it. I was just like, I took this like mm. great retreat to this cabin in the woods, and I wrote and I listened to Bob Dylan. That's why I wanted to, that I suggested that last song. And I really listened to Dylan as an adult. 
not as a 17-year-old kid who was being suggested, you know, you should listen to Dylan. I listened to Dylan as an adult after I'd been through the big labels and all the shit. And I, and I just rediscovered and I found the depth of who I always wanted to be. It's, and I wrote this album called Simplify and I yeah. put 12 songs on it that I think to the day I die, I'll never quite be able to replicate. I hope to write rich and deep things in the future, but I'll never be able to get those lyrics again. And I'm so proud of that. Mm-hmm. And it's crazy. You talk about just the whole journey, like, and how I had to do what I had to do before that to get that. It just blows my mind. That's a wonderful how, thing. How do you hold on to that space of the purity? Like now, now, you know, f- what, eight years post that period? Um, yeah, when did Simplify come Sim- out? So I wrote it in that period, probably 2011, 2012. 11, okay. yeah. But I released it the next year or something. So I released okay. it, I think, in 2013. Um, holding on to that purity is is now paramount to my happiness. I learned a valuable lesson in those few months, which is I better write music I believe in. And I better and I I better believe in the music I write. It sounds funny to switch that up, but it has to be created authentically for me now. So even if I write something poppy, it I just wrote released the howl a couple of years ago, which was definitely pop and it was upbeat with my band, but I had found it in an authentic way myself. Because after performing Simplify every night, we started to get more tempos going and people kind of dancing. And then I'm like, oh, who's this guy? This is like <laughs> a, this guy's coming out of nowhere. And it might've been like a, one of the Charleston shows you saw where it's like very upbeat all of a sudden. Uh-huh. And so it was happening authentically. And I was right. like, oh, I can make an upbeat pop record now because it, I understand where it came from. I wasn't being told by a label that that's what commercialism is or that's what you should make. Right, okay. So I it think was just what I, happening. It was just happening. And I think that's what I took away from that period the most is that now whatever comes in my future, it just has to come from the right place, authentically from me and I'll... Well, this dovetails nicely with what what Alex and I have been talking about, the, uh, the second aspect of this conversation here, which it started with the music will not define me. Yeah. And... We've since discussed this as the music industry will not define me. You <laughs> called it the uh, era of unorthodox touring, totally, uh, oh which gosh. I love, and it it feels like that's that's what was happening there, and it still yeah. is, right? Like yeah. you know, that's stepping what, away from the music industry and saying like, hey, there's a new paradigm here, and I can sort of make it up as I go. Oh my gosh, yeah, I I, I smile thinking about my last four years or five years of touring because they were so different from my first four or five in that I just started to realize, holy shit, there's Facebook, there's Instagram, there's a way to just contact my fans directly and say, hey, we're playing this venue in Dallas, but we have the next two days off. Anybody want to do a home show? And I started off playing for like 20 people in their backyard, and now it's turned into like 200 people in backyards um, in a lot of these cities, and I'm getting paid really well for it. And I've and I, I've started to take my days off on tour and do what I want with them instead of taking interviews or doing all these radio stops. Or right. it's been mm. my at least my formula for happiness. You do the show, you do an interview, you do these things, and then you go hiking, and you take your band, or you you go to the beach for the day, or you find a lake, or you do something that's just not music. Just because you're on a two month tour doesn't mean it has to be two months of music. And I think. When I say unorthodox, I, I think I mean that. It's private shows, public shows, and nature. It's 
than what I've been doing. So you'll still go in and do a, a more traditional show in in a, in a city, but then do the house shows on the back end. Of yeah, it. yeah. You're, you're letting people know. So that's kind of like a piggyback thing. Like, I'm going to be in town. Anybody want to do this? Yeah, exactly. And that's taken off. So pretty much every town you go in, you'll have a, a, a house show or? Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, yeah, a lot of them. And actually for the first time this last summer, I decided to just do a private show tour. Yeah. And... Um, just booked it myself. I put 25 shows together around the country with my trio and we bought our own PA and our own merch and our own van, rented our own van and just went just from house to house. And so, and some, it's not just houses because now that we've done these certain towns a few times, there's a lot of people. So there's, now I have hosts who are just like normal people who rent a hall in their town and Two or three hundred people will come to the hall based on that person's promotion and my Facebook promotion. Wow! And this is not what the venues or the agents really want to hear about. Right. And I swear, there's still a real place for them as well. But there's also other opportunities. It's got to feel pretty rich. The 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 connection, right? I mean, does it? It's. I would so think that rich. would be much more compelling. It is so rich. Yeah. It's so symbiotic. It's so when you, when you finish a, a house show that's like successful, the host is so happy. The fans are so happy. They just had this intimate experience. The band has been taken care of by right. the host so well because the host is so excited. And then they hand you money at the end of the night that they raised from the fans and that they came up with themselves and they're so proud to pay you. And then you get in your van, you're like, holy cow! There was no smoky bar. There was no middleman. There was no all these things that used to stress me out. And now it's just pure. It's just pure. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm selling, I sell artwork on Instagram now. Yeah. Right. Which, you know, five years ago, I would have been, you could have told me that. I would have been like, no way. Yeah. Come on. I just logged off of Facebook because I don't like it. So, right. Right. You know, and that was years ago. And then suddenly, yeah, it's social media is offering this whole new way of connecting with people that, that is uh, changing the, the paradigm. But that closeness, is so great. I think that's what people are yeah. responding to is, you know, they're bringing you. And so their enthusiasm to make sure that there's people there to hear you, it's got to be, you know, yeah. so infectious. Think about that, that everyone who came usually comes at the suggestion of the host. So they are already coming because a good friend yeah. said, this is going to be great. Yeah, energetically, that's it's, just... They're just already like, right. and so then you give such a better show and it's just a really pure experience. It's yeah. been cool. Um, going back to the album, Simplify, I love that tune. Um, and I'm thinking about your wild adventure that you're maybe about to go on, which is selling your house and sailing around the world. Yeah. With, um, in the weeds with two kids at four and two. <laughs> like, I just, and that's why the last few weeks of us emailing, I've been apologetic because I've been, I've just, I've defined this moment as the busiest time of my life because, yeah. uh, my wife and I looked at each other, looked at each other about three or four months ago and said, we kind of want to sell this house anyway. Where are we going to move? We want to stay in Charleston, but where would it be? And she said, what's going on with your career next year? And I said, well, I'm doing some things in Holland. I'm doing, trying to plan another tour in the U.S., but I don't know if I'm going to release a record. She's like, so is there a gap? Like, <laughs> you, you don't, you don't quite know her. what you're doing? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. She, she's been oh, just amazing. My wife is just one of the best humans. Um but she just kind of smiled and I said, I, I think there's a gap. What are, you, what are you getting at? She's like, I'm getting at that thing, that thing we've sort of been touching on for a few years. And so we're going to sell our house and um, we're going to travel the world with our two kids 
and I'll play a little bit of music. Maybe 10 or 20% of it will be me playing music and trying to make a little money, but the vast majority of the time we want to just live simply in six to nine other countries, um, just spend time with our kids. Now, you won't be doing that by boat. You'll just be moving right. to different cities. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, maybe we'll go on a boat here. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> uh, That's, this is a significant leap, Yeah. leaping off the cliff. This, right? is, this is definitely it's a the, leap off the it's cliff. It's the quintessential call to adventure, at, and, and it's the first step. You're heading in one direction. Uh, you know, I remember when when uh, when Megan and I were married. She used to say that I was easily distracted by bright shiny objects. And <laughs> yeah. So there's this shiny object that catches your eye, yes. and you're thinking, yes. "Well, we could do this." And that pivot is the call to adventure. Like, oh man, maybe oh maybe we should jump off into the unknown. Yes. And there's a lot. There's excitement um, and fear, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm bubbling up with thoughts and fears <laughs> and anxieties and. It's such an exciting call to adventure because it's the first one truly in partnership with my wife. Mm. And, you know, in further talks with her, I'll hear her describe this to some other friends and she'll say, I mean, this has been my lifelong dream. And I just look at her and I'm like, if I can play a part in fulfilling your lifelong dream after a... She's been with me, by the way, since 2005. So almost everything we've talked about in this interview, picture this wonderful woman by my side who's just helping me get through it and making her own money. And we're just trying to do this. We're going to give a big shout out to Curry Lee right now. Curry. Yeah. <laughs> I love you, honey. There you go. Um, yeah, that's this phenomenal. Is so this we'll is now like this thing that, you know, yeah. that you're really inspired to do with her yeah. and, and for her. Um, it reminds me, of course, of Kevin Harrison. Yeah. Well, um, and Chad Waldorf, when we talked yeah, to him right. and he was that's getting right. ready to take his kids and his, uh, and his wife to Australia. Oh, wow. move for nine months. Wow. What, what, um, I'm always interested by fears because some fears are, you know, so irrational. Yeah, I, you're um, right. You're right. What are some of the fears that come up around this adventure? Oh, my goodness. Uh, six just shot to mine. Let's see what comes from it. Um, <laughs> one fear is, is money, is yeah. seeing and making sure we can afford it because we want to do it very simply on a low budget. But it entails selling a house and having a little bit of that. Our whole goal is to have a down payment saved for when we get back. Right. Make enough on the house so we can, you know. So so money is a big fear, probably the biggest one because it's the first one I said. Um, But uh, definitely my kids being young, um, if we're going to try to go to anything, you know, maybe Rwanda is on our list. I have a connection there Mm. that I'm trying to pursue. And so I think of illnesses. I think of just like common colds. I think of... That we're going to try Thailand as well. I think of just food sicknesses that I think my wife and I can make it through, you know, almost anything. But, you know, you're responsible for a family now. Yeah. And so that's that's on my mind a lot. Yeah. Um, and then I think I think refinding a place in Charleston is not going to be easy. It's We all know what's happening in this town right now. And although I really want to return to it, I want to make sure that the real estate market doesn't shoot so far out of control that – People who just want to live here can't live here anymore. Yeah. So that's a fear on my, on my mind too. But I think we're going to aim for James Island or John's Island. Our dream would be to build a little something of our own on John's Island. So we'll see. Build yeah. us a guest house. Build you a guest house? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, okay, you guys can could, come out there. It could just be an inu in a tree. That's know? right. That's right. There, there, will be yeah. a, there will be a side Some studio. whiskey around the fire, well, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. If you come back around, 
and you're having a hard time finding a place. I've got, you know, the perfect studio apartment in my in wow. my backyard. So wow. <laughs> you could set up camp yeah, there for a little right. while that's if you want. That's really nice of you. Thank <laughs> yeah, you. Yeah, totally. We, this whole experience has been so humbling, just making the decision to go around the world. has Because yeah. people have offered help your whole life, you know, just these little offers and you just sort of say thank you. But this is for the first time where people have said, I have a house in Dublin if you want to use it for a couple nights. And I look at them like, thank you. Like, yeah. that actually might really help me. Yeah, right. You're, you actually put yourself in this really uh, kind of vulnerable place. It's, it's, it's a, there's a lesson in that, too. It's been really nice. It's a beautiful part of traveling because you really just get to see how beautiful humanity is. That's the goal. Yeah. Yes, that's, that's, yeah. what, that's like our goal yeah. is, is to show our kids new and, and, and beautiful humanity. And I'll tell you, to be honest, the fact that it is a scary... Uh, fear-inducing, you know, there's some hesitancy and excitement to the leap into this sort of position is, I think, the reason why people are so willing to help is they're, sort, they're living vicariously through you. Like, a lot of people think about doing something like that, mm -hmm. but it's not everybody that actually does it. So when somebody is doing it, people are just like, oh, yeah, they're taking one for the team. Right, they're doing right, it. Right. Like, Let's we've help. talked about it, but... I got this corporate thing. I got my 401k. You know, I don't know if it's a good idea. And, but right. these guys are doing it. So let's, they can like live vicariously. There's some energy to pursue, even though they're not doing the global family field trip. That's so true. That's probably what I'm already feeling. That's true. I'm sure you'll feel that the whole way around. I mean, it, it's it just knowing the experience that Kevin and Kathy and their children went through. They were in the same place. And, um, in hindsight, they couldn't have mapped out what happened. But what happened was great and was perfect. And, and you know, they ended up not doing the entire globe, but settling in, you know, in Spain and in Dublin and, and achieving all the things that they hoped they would, but it just not in the way they could have outlined it. That is amazing and inspiring because that's another one of my small fears is we've laid out this itinerary in our brains. Our, our bar is up here. Yeah. And I what I really want to make sure I can do is be completely flexible and content with what it ends up being. Yeah. And I think I would love to hear your story at some point because yeah. that's, yeah. When's the voyage uh, set to begin? Well, considering we already booked tickets, uh, <laughs> we just bit the bullet one really? last month. We booked tickets to Amsterdam, to Holland um, for June 15th. One-way tickets that just have nice. no return for four people. All right. Um, so, uh, so yeah. Well, if that doesn't inspire some of our listeners to to take that leap, one-way tickets. One-way tickets. It's a good thing. <laughs> one-way tickets. I'm smiling just saying that. Jumping off the cliff and growing your wings on the way down, right? That's that, exciting. That's the one quote I'm going to take personally from this whole interview: is, is the the jumping off the cliff and actually. That net appears. The that net one appear. really resonates with me right now because I feel like I'm not only am I in the weeds. I feel like I'm like I'm also there's there's more weeds than ever because I'm just there's a lot of unknown ahead of me. And I think that's sort of for me that that gets at faith. Um, this idea that the net appears. Yeah. Um, and I've I think historically thought of faith as something completely intangible that that just required belief and there might not be anything other than that. Yeah. But for me, it's actually like, like, you know, that the idea that, yeah, you can jump off into the unknown and the net will appear. Like, you know, I, I say this all mm -hmm. the time. 
I have to correct myself. Uh, you know, I caught myself saying this the other day. I said, yeah, and, and, and I'm going to be okay. And then I stop and go, scratch that. I'm okay. I'm okay. Yeah. I don't I, need the I don't need to put that in future tense. Right. Like, I'm actually okay right now. Yeah. Yeah, there's some struggles, there's some challenges I'm going through, but whatever. It's it's I'm okay. It's a mindset. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um well, speaking of curry, yeah. and of course music, <laughs> uh this final song uh, that we'd like to hear that you chose for uh for our listeners and for us to enjoy is called La Mer by Charles Trinet. And uh I read, I did a quick search on him. He, he wrote this as a poem when he was 16 years old. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't. I heard that it was written, the song itself was he wrote on a train. So I wonder if he took that yes. poem and he wrote it on a train or something. He, like. he took the poem and wrote the, tra- wrote the music on the train. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. And that, I remembered that because he was taking the train to Perpignan in France, and I was just there last year. And so I was like, oh, Perpignan, I know where that is. Wow. <laughs> yeah, he was going by uh, uh, this lake and thought of the poem and, and, and then wrote the song, La Mer. Well, this song is, the reason I suggested it is because it symbolizes for me and my wife... Um, the unknown, it symbolizes travel. It symbolizes somewhere very different than where we are. There's something that's so worldly about this song. And she and I discovered it together and liked it the exact same amount hmm. because it's, it, it lets us escape. And the fact that we are now about to actually escape is just so, so, so exciting. That's incredible. Well, incredible. let's hear it. Enjoy. La Mer. Charles Trenet. And uh, before we go into it, uh, I just want to say thank you, Brendan, for, mm. for joining us today. Really My enjoyed pleasure. it. Um, as I mentioned before, anybody listening wants to uh, hear Brendan James sing, you can get on Spotify, you can get on iTunes. Um, website is just brendanjames.com, mm-hmm. right? Okay, yeah. cool. Well, I highly encourage everybody, check him out. And uh, follow on Instagram because I'm going to have some big adventures coming up. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we'll start our own page. But for now, go. if you go to B. James Photos with an F, that's where they'll be for now. But that's okay. But, but yeah, thanks for having me. This is a really special thing, guys. And I could, I could sit here all day, to be honest. I don't, I don't want to move. <laughs> right on. Thank you, Brother. Cool. Appreciate it. Well, I just want to say we're going to host him when he comes back. Yes. We'll have a little party. Holy cow. <laughs> Holy Let's do that. cow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, man. Enjoy. Qu'on voit danser le long du golfe clair à des reflets d'argent, la mer, des reflets changeants sous la pluie, la mer au ciel d'été. Confond ses blancs moutons avec les anges et pur la mer, bergère d'azur infinie. Voyez près des étangs ces grands roseaux mouillés. Voyez. Des oiseaux blancs et ces maisons rouillées 
Pour la vie 